Well, thank you. I know, Brian, it's been such a full week. It seems like weeks ago, but it was just last weekend that we did the seminar. <laughs> and, uh, but it's fun seeing all you guys here in the front row. It just made me a little jealous and envious of writing. This isn't part of the sermon, but um, I just have to say this, that I got to ride dirt bikes and stuff when I was younger. And I got married, and my wife's youngest brother was in an accident. Motorcycle accident when he was 18, and he's um, in a wheelchair. Um, so she never wanted me on a bike. But one day I was out doing a first love weekend out in the middle of Michigan in Nowheresville. And the pastor says, Mark, I have two bikes. Can you go riding? I said, my wife will never let me on a bike as long as I live. He says, well, let me talk to her. I said, go ahead, dude. <laughs> Do your best. Well, then the next thing I know, he says, really? Yeah. So she said yes, because we're out in nowhere, right? So I get on the Harley, and I, you know, it's way different than a dirt bike, right? So I'm trying to steer this thing, do this thing for like 10 minutes, and then he pulls over and goes, how's it going? I said, well, this thing's like huge, man. This thing's really crazy, tough. And then I'm trying to figure out, do you lean? Do you do this? And then he goes, no. He said, if you want to go right, push on the right. And I went, no, no, you mean, if I want to go right, you push on the left. He goes, no, if you want to go right, push on the right. I go, dude, listen. If you want to go right, you go like this. He says, no. And then he just stopped and he goes, look at me. I know what I'm doing. You don't. If you want to live, do what I'm telling you. So we get back on the bike, we start down the road, and I lean into the right, and the thing goes like this, you know? I'm like, whoa! Then I lean into the left, and it goes left, and next thing I know, I feel like I'm in total control, right? It was awesome. So then we're flying down these back roads, 60, 70 miles an hour. The only thing he didn't tell me was that there's roadkill all over out there. And if I didn't know how to steer, who knows what would have happened, right? Now, when I told Robin that story, she said, and you'll never be on one of those again. <laughs> but you guys would understand, and I tell you this only because I was praying and saying, Lord, maybe there's somebody who needs to hear this today. That day, when he made me look him straight in the eyes and just said, Mark, seriously, listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. And that it was counterintuitive, right? That day felt like the day when Jesus said, if you want to live, you've got to lose your life. Which sounds totally upside down, right? No, if you want to live, you've got to go seek it. You've got to pursue it. You've got to find it. You've got to do what you want to do. And Jesus said, no, if you want to have life, you need to lose your life. And I'm sure to everybody else it went, no, 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 that's like totally wrong. <laughs> like the day he told me how to steer. But he was absolutely right. And it made that ride in that afternoon incredibly safe and enjoyable. And for any of you out there who think what Jesus had to say seems really upside down, backwards and wrong. <laughs> he knows what he's talking about. 
because he's the one who designed life and knows how to make it work so that it's really fun and safe. So just think about that. <clears throat> Pretty cool, right? That was a life lesson for good, my one time on a Harley. <laughs> I'd love to join you out there, but Robin won't ever let me back on one again. So yeah. So anyway, um, as Brian said, it always sounds so, I don't know, president and founder. It's really no big deal. <laughs> I'm just a guy, just like you. And especially what I want to share with you today is the fact that you are loved in a way that it's simply almost impossible for us to really understand, to grasp. It's called First Loved Ministries, and the weekend that we did last weekend, First Loved to Love. <clears throat> because in 1 John 4.19, John said we love because he first loved us. And I was at a point in my life, I was a brand new pastor, I was 30 years old, I was doing a series on loving God, loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, and the further I got into the series, the more that it showed me that I really stunk at loving. And it was a very difficult thing to have to face. You know, how can I lead a church? How can I pastor when I stink at the most important thing? Right? When Jesus said, love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you, that is not normal. Seriously, right? The last time somebody mistreated you was your first response. Let me just pray for you, dear friend. Do good to those who hate you? That's not normal. Or when he described the Samaritan and when he saw the guy half wounded. Just think about that. This is a stranger and all the stuff that he did for that guy gets off and bandages his wounds and puts him on his donkey, takes him to an end and pays for the whole deal. And Jesus says that's what a neighbor's like. All I know is that I needed the Lord to do something because I didn't love like that. And I felt pretty hopeless about whether I ever would love like that. And in his kindness one day, really asking, really seeking, really saying, Lord, you've got to change my heart. I came across that verse where he said, Mark, the secret is you've got to come to me first, who is love, and let me love you first. And then you'll love because I first loved you. That was 29 years ago, and it turned my life upside down. From that point on, every day, as much as I can, I come to the Lord to be loved by Him first. To be loved through words, especially His written words, so that you can hear it. Hear His words of affection and love to your soul, but also to pay attention to our loving interactions, to recognize that Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, is still living within our hearts. And that He is still expressing, manifesting His love among us, we just usually miss it every day. We don't pay attention to it. But there are so many ways that he shows us how much he loves us. And loves us in very practical, tangible ways. I hope some point, for those of you that didn't get to do the weekend, I'll be able to do it again. And you guys will be able to come. How many of you here today were here last or at that weekend? Yeah, cool. 
Right, guys? Would you like to see some of your other friends experience it? It was an amazing time. And I read those things, and they're cool. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> so today, I want to begin first by looking at a number of scriptures, and then I'm going to pull it all together. The first one is in Exodus 19. And this is where God is promising, where he's taken Israel out of Egypt. They've just crossed the river. They're just at the mountain, and he says to them, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, that out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The next one is after the 40 years before they go into the land that was promised to them in Deuteronomy, Moses is reminding them of what the Lord said. Only now it's not a future reality, it's a present reality where he says, for you are, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasures, Possession. And I want you just now to listen to it, though. Here's part of first love, is that instead of just reading things that inform you, it's allowing the Scripture to become the living Word of God to your own heart. So now listen to how the Lord would say it to you today. He says, you are a chosen people. Uh, you switch verses on me. Go back to the other one first. That's okay. No? Go back to, there it is. For you are my people, holy to me, the Lord your God. And I chose you out of all the nations of the earth to be my, my treasure. And see, here's the really cool thing is that now we can go to the next text. Is in 1 Peter is that, remember, once Jesus comes, he dies, he's raised to life. What it means to become one of the people of God is that it happens through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection for the forgiveness of sins. And then you receive the Holy Spirit so that now Jew and non-Jew alike, whoever believes in what Jesus did for them, you understand, I, the resurrection, you know, I can't stand, we were just went through it right recently, Easter. I wish we could just blow up that word and kill it once for all. Because Easter is a non-biblical word. I wish we'd call it Resurrection Day. In fact, I renamed all the holidays in our church. Christmas we called Incarnation Day. Because that's the day God became a human being incarnated himself and entered into our existence, our world, so we could see what he's really like, right? Easter, Resurrection Day. Because without resurrection, we have nothing. Paul says without resurrection, we're the biggest idiots on the planet. He really did say that. We're the biggest fools. Why does resurrection matter? Because Jesus said he was dying not for himself, but for all of us. Which, by the way, is why it really matters that Jesus is also God. Because if Jesus was only a man, he could only die for one of us. 
But God can do it for all of us. And every claim that Jesus made about himself, everything that he said he came to do, and especially that that death was for you and I, when he was raised from the dead, that was God saying yes to Jesus. That our sins are forgiven, that he's alive and real and present to us today. And then the day that just kills me because so much of the church doesn't celebrate it is Pentecost. Why most of the church doesn't celebrate that day is mind-bending to me. Because that is Invasion Day. That's the day when God came, Emmanuel, by His Spirit, but not just in one, but into us all, so that He could continue that mission of revealing His love to us so that we would all go, wow, God, and come into relationship and get our lives changed. Incarnation Day, Resurrection Day, Invasion Day, they matter. And then once you believe in that and get filled with the Spirit, it makes all of us the people of God. I don't know why I went off on that. Oh, God, help me. I reined myself in pretty good at the other campus. <laughs> but anyway, the reason for saying that is this passage. Is that because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all of us, Jew and non-Jew alike, are now. Look what he says. Peter's talking to Jew and non-Jew alike, and he says, you, all of you, are now a chosen people. My royal priesthood, my holy nation, my treasure, my special possession. Well, then in Deuteronomy 10, <clears throat> Moses says this, these words here, but I want you to hear it again directly from the Lord. To me, to me, the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. It's mine. Mine, 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 mine. Anybody who has ever seen Finding Nemo, all the seagulls, mine, 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 mine. I know it well. I had five kids. They're 32 to 25 now, but when they were little, we watched Finding Nemo about 80 million times. And I did a sermon series using eight clips from that movie, and all the parents would always get mad when I'd shut it off. <laughs> no, we want to watch the whole thing. A lot of great truth in that. Anyway, the whole earth is mine. Yet, look what he says. Yet I set my affection on you. And I chose you. And I love you. See, here's the amazing thing is that now here, this word gets introduced and it's used in chapter 7 and used in chapter 10. It's a Hebrew word that only occurs in these places. This word that's translated, set my affection on, it means this deep inward attachment to this deep inward bond to something that will never let go. Deep inward attachment. When he says you're my treasured possession, he's talking about something deep, like he really likes you. You're treasured. And he set his affection on you, and you, and you, and you, and you. Calls you treasured. 
Now, every now and then, people will go on market. He says that to everybody. Yeah, that's the good thing. Right? When I look at my five kids and say, I love you guys, I want every one of my kids to go, Daddy loves me. Daddy loves me. When he says, you are my treasured possession, it means you are my treasured possession. You are my treasured possession. You are my treasured possession. He wants each of us to hear that and go, I am Daddy's treasured possession. And he has set his affection on me. But just in case you're not sure, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Isn't that interesting when God said to me, the whole earth is mine and all belongs to me. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the grass of the field. And then he goes, but you guys have reduced a sparrow to half a penny. Thank you very much. It's okay if you smile or do something. Just tell me your life today. <laughs> Thank you. But seriously, right? Now what is that? That's an important little moment, right? Where he says, but you guys have reduced one of my creatures to half a cent. See, the thing, too, about this idea of set your affection on this deep inward attachment is that we don't always feel that way about every possession, do we? We have lots of possessions, but not everyone is our favorite possession. Not everyone is our treasured possession. And isn't it what drives the market? Isn't it what drives a, what, a yard sale, tag sale, garage sale? I don't know what you call it. It's called something different all over, but right one person's trash is another person's treasure. It's only as valuable as what you're willing to pay for it. And whatever this thing is that happens uniquely in each of us, that decides that something that we have is more valuable than something else, it's subjective, it's unique. But of the Lord, he says, for each of you, you are my treasured possession. You're the one I've set my affection on. And even though you reduced the sparrow to half a cent, listen to what he says. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them, not one of them falls to the ground apart from my will, apart from my knowing, apart from my care. And then I remember when I was meditate, med memorizing this and meditating on it, when I got to the next line, he says, even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Mac, you've made it easy on them. <laughs> now he's probably just keeping track of these guys, right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well... I'm losing it all in the middle on mine, so I'll be joining you soon, dude. But I remember one day going, God, what the heck? What do you mean that even the very hairs of our head are all numbered? Like, seriously? Why would you care? I mean, when my wife gets out of the shower, I'm like, I'm thinking she's going to be bald when I see her. Because there's so much hair in the sink, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, she's going to be bald. I can know she's still full of hair on her head. But I mean, we lose hair all the time. But he says, even the very hair on your head is numbered. So while I'm memorizing, meditating on this, I go, really, Lord, what does that mean? 
And then he made me think about an encyclopedia series where, say, there's 10 books, right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, 8, 9, 10 volumes, and they have a number on it. So one day you go to your encyclopedia set and you go 1, 2, 3, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Which one's missing? Number four. You know what the number did is it gave that book identity. And he says, Mark, you're not a number to me. You're a name. And I know your name. And then in John 10, remember Jesus said that the shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He knows them by name. And several times in that passage, he refers to them as his own sheep. In fact, he says, when the hired hand runs away, his statement is, is because he doesn't own the sheep and therefore cares nothing about them. You belong to God. You are His, and you're not a number, you're a name. You're not just a collective. You're individuals to Him, and you are His treasured possession. On whom He has set His affection. Pretty cool, right? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul says that in Jesus we have been chosen. And then I love it, he says, in love we've been predestined to become, to be adopted as his sons and daughters, as we sung about today, according to his two really good words. Why are we chosen? Why are we predestined to become his kids? According to his will and his pleasure. You know why that matters? Because it means it had nothing to do with you. And just in case Israel had some idea that it had something to do with them, later in chapter 9, he says, oh, by the way, don't ever think it had anything to do with you, because you're the smallest people, you're rebellious, stiff-necked, and if anybody didn't deserve to be loved, it was you. So make no mistake, calling you my treasured possession, setting my affection on you had to do with what I feel toward you, because you're mine, and it had nothing to do with you. In fact, this is the point of the parable of what's often called the prodigal son. It's really the wrong title. In fact, it's not said in the Bible. It says, and then Jesus told him a story about two sons. And the point of the story is neither son. The point of the story is the father. He's the one who's prodigal, which means lavish, extravagant, to the point of wasteful. But again, what's so important about the parable is that it was about two sons. Why? Because the chapter begins with the sinners and tax collectors are listening to him and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the super religious are listening. Guess which son each one represents? But the point of the parable is this, is that each son thinks that the reason the father would love him is based on them. Right? The younger son, he's gone off and sinned. And some of you may feel that way today. You may be struggling with the sense of shame and guilt and sin. And yeah, 
It pains God's heart when we do that stuff because it harms Him and others. But remember in the text it says when the son was coming home, he rehearses what he's going to say to dad. And when he gets there, he's going to say, Dad, I have sinned, I have wronged you, and I have wronged heaven. And then he says, therefore, demote me and make me a hired hand, for I am no longer worthy, no longer worthy. You understand what he's saying? He's judging himself. He's looking at his failures. He's looking at his faults. He's looking at his sin. And everything that he does, and when he judges all that, he comes up with the conclusion, I am not worthy of my father's love. I'm not worthy to even be called his son. But think about the elder brother. Remember, the elder brother gets ticked. Why does he get ticked? He says to his dad, I have slaved for you all these years and never disobeyed your orders. And you didn't so much as give me a little chicken. You know what's tough about that is that his belief is that the only reason the father loved him as well was based on his behavior. That somehow he thought he was earning his father's love. He deserved his father's best and benefit. And the whole point of the parable is that neither one of them understood that the father's love for them had nothing to do with them. But had everything to do with his will, his pleasure, that they were his sons on whom he had set his affection. And they were treasured to him just because they were his. That's how he feels about you today. He thinks about you today. There's not a thing you can do to make him love you more or love you less. But then there was this other passage that the Lord had me memorize as a part of learning how to see God's love in action. Where Jesus said these words, said, Which of you fathers or mothers, if your son or daughter asked for bread, would give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, would give him a snake? If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will I, your Father in heaven, give good gifts to you? <clears throat> right? So what he's doing is he's looking at moms and dads and saying, Look, think about your own hearts. Think about your own lives. Think about your relationship with your children. Don't you love them such that if they ask you for something and have a need, wouldn't you do something for them? How much more God? Well, here's the other part of what I wanted you to catch today. Is not only who you are to Him, how loved you are. But the other side of it is the purpose of that parable is also that many of us have really crazy ideas about God. Do you realize how many folks out there around you have ridiculous, foolish, Satan, um, what? It's been that way since the garden, right? Isn't that what Satan did to Eve, was to paint God as being one you couldn't trust? <coughs> That somehow God was against them, that God was withholding, that God was ripping them off because they couldn't eat from this one tree. You know, the enemy's been out doing that 
Every moment of every day for the rest of human history is painting this wrong image of God so that we would reject Him and not want Him and not be in relationship with Him. And that's the other part of that parable. It's also not only the value that you have to Him, but it's about you seeing who God really is. So now let me pull it all together and be done. As I mentioned, I have five kids. When Josh was five, Julia was three, Charissa was one, one day after church, <clears throat> a single mom came over who had a five and six-year-old and a newborn as well. So she came over, we were hanging out, it was cold, it was wintertime, but it was a pretty day, still just a blue sky like this, and there's been no snow yet. So Robin and the single mom stayed with the, with the newborns, and I took the five and six-year-old of hers and my five and three-year-old, and we went out to the woods where we used to play tag and monster and whatever. We did that for years and years where we'd chase the kids, we'd catch them, we'd put them in jail, and then the other kids would try to come and tag them so they could get out. Somewhere along the line, when Robin and I were both like, <sighs> and they're all going, come on, Dad, come on, Mom. We said, this game is done. They could outrun us. But at that time, they were still small and it was still fun. So I thought, well, I'll take these kids out there and we'll play. So we get there. It's a little place called Virginia Woods in Melrose, Mass. We used to go there all the time. But there's a little pond, and the pond comes down, and it, there's a footbridge that you go over, and then it made a little waterfall, and then the stream kept going. When you went through the woods, everybody had to cross over that bridge. And on that day, because it was nice out, there were still people out running, walking, riding bikes. And us out there playing. Well, at one point, though, Josh looks and he sees that where the water had gone over <clears throat> in the little waterfall, it had formed these massive icicles. <laughs> and they were huge, you know, so like, He's breaking, well, he slides down into it. He gets wet because it's all slippery and icy on the side. He gets in the water and he breaks off this thing. Look, Dad, look at this. You know, isn't this amazing? I teach at this uh, discipleship school in, in uh, Costa Rica. You know how hard it was trying to get a Costa Rican to imagine what I was talking about? <laughs> with this big icicle? You know, like, icicle. How do I help them with icicle? You know, <laughs> But you guys know exactly what I mean, right? Josh got these big old icicles and he's breaking them and breaking off another and busting them. And well, as soon as he breaks them all, all of a sudden he realizes he's freezing and he wants out. So I go, fine, get out. Well, he can't because it was all slippery. So I go over to a bush, I take my coat off, I get myself tangled up in the bush, I'm reaching as far as I can, flicking my coat down to him. And eventually, he slides, you know, he keeps falling, but he, he works his way up my coat, up my arm, through the bush, out the other side. We're walking back over toward the footbridge, and I see the two kids that I brought, but no Julia. So I look at the two kids, and I says, where's Julia? They go, we don't know, Mr. We were watching you. I go, that's not the right answer. Where's Julia? We don't know, Mr. For those of you who are parents, if you've lost your child for any 
moment, amount of time. There is no worse feeling in the whole world. Truth. Now this section of woods had roads on either side. It was pretty wide. One to behind me and then one at the top. I ran. I can whistle really loud. I'm whistling, screaming. I ran the length from road to road and from road to road. It took me almost 20 minutes. And no Julia. I cannot describe to you the emotion. I am crying. I am trembling. Josh and the other two kids, they're hiding because they just see that I am out of control. I mean, I'm really out of control. Screaming, hollering, praying, crying. And the worst part is at some point, my mind, first it goes to wondering who took her. And if they took her, what's going to happen to her? Your mind, you've seen enough TV shows, right? Your mind just is like, it's torturing me. But then came the worst moment where now it's 20, 25 minutes and I'm thinking, we got to go home. How do I go home? Hi, honey. Lost one. Seriously. I remember, remember when, the, when the shepherd loses one, leaves the 99? I used to think, dude, you're insane. You got 99, half of them are pregnant, forget about it. But see, those all 100, they were his. And they meant something to him. He knew them by name. It doesn't matter that I have five children. Every one of them are mine. And there's no more important treasure to me than my kids. How do I go home and say, honey, I lost one? Well, as I'm sitting there crying, trembling, sobbing, thinking this is it, I gotta go home. I look over and, because it's winter, you can see through the trees and the one road to this side, I saw way more cars lined up at the light and I thought, oh God, maybe she's been hit. So I get up and I start sprinting through the woods and through the stuff and I get almost to the road and there she is. And I pick her up and I'm like, oh, honey. And I'm just crying, crying, crying. Shaking, trembling. Oh, baby. I thought daddy thought I'd lost you. And I just got her so tight. And then finally, I pull her away and put her out here. And I look her in the eyes and I say, sweetheart, what were you thinking? And she looks at me and she goes, daddy. I went peepees all by myself. <laughs> oh! <laughs> now I don't know whether to laugh or cry or just what, you know, but it's like, how can I be mad at that? But all I know is on that day, when I heard the passage, Mark, if your daughter would get lost, and you would feel that way and go through that over her. How much more 
Do I see you? Do I look for you? Do I long for you? Do I care for you? Do I search and hunt for you? And I am not satisfied until I find you in your home with me. That's who God really is. And that's the way God really loves you and really, really loves your friends and family who don't know him. That's the love of a God who would send his son to die to demonstrate that love when he said we were ungodly sinners and his enemies. This is what he did to get our attention to go, this is how much I love you. And then he calls us his treasured possession. The ones on whom he has set his affection. So wherever you are today, I hope that you will take to heart. That's who you are to him. And there's not a thing you can do today or won't do today or tomorrow or any other day that will ever change who you are to him. And that's also what he's like. There's no love like our God's love. And I hope today when we take the table, come to the table and take the elements that you would remember. That's the kind of God who loves you. That's how much he loves you. And when you come up, then you'd remember, I'm his treasured possession, on whom he set his affection. So Lord, bless my brothers and sisters. Let it sink in deep to their hearts today. We love you in Jesus' name.